yeah. having certain opportunities arise that you don't take advantage of or like certain doors that open that you don't step through. And that's a mistake I've made many times in my life. And I guess, but would it be a fear? I think, it, I guess it's a little bit of a, re- a regret or it's just part of the growing process. Like none of us are out of the womb and just like perfect. Welcome everyone to the ultimate shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life? All right, welcome back to the ultimate shift. Today we have Brando Eaton. I'm excited about this, man. You better. <laughs> we have a mutual friend, Richie Walls, and so I met you a couple of weeks ago, I guess, and Richie was like, you need to get Brando on. So yeah. here we are. We managed to make it happen. So you've been on uh, Nickelodeon's Zoe 101, CSI, The Mentalist, Dexter, Alvin and the Chipmunks 2, which, by the way, what did you play in Alvin and the Chipmunks 2? Yeah, I was a live-action character, meaning I was myself. I okay, I got gotcha. you. I played the high school president. I have to go back and watch all these now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you want to do that. <laughs> It'd be a little embarrassing. But yeah, yeah, I've been doing it for a while. And that's only a, a little bit of different stuff you've done so tell us about brando like what what got you into acting like what you were you started young right yes i mean i I did i did plays and stuff when i was about two years old so my mom put me in plays so i guess technically i've been acting since two but i don't really (laughs) count that (laughs) i've been acting professionally since 17 okay i'm 34 now so i don't want to do math (laughs) (laughs) many 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 moons yeah, so that that was the thing that when I left high school, I just started pursuing that as my career, uh, which I always just kind of knew that I would, without mm-hmm. even putting that much thought into it. I always knew that I wouldn't be going to college and that I would be acting. Oh, so you never even went to college? Then. Went to college, no. Same here, but yeah, although we're different industries. Yeah, yeah, but now I'm in many different industries, but kind of self-taught and everything. Yeah. yeah. So as a kid, you grew up in L.A., That was that kind of like... Your mom, obviously, you said she put you in, but like, was that something that right off the bat you knew like, hey, I love this, I want to do this? Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I don't know, it's a weird thing. Like, I always just knew I would do it. And it wasn't even something I was like super nerdy about, meaning like there's some theater kids that they just eat, breathe, drink, live, bleed theater. They're mm-hmm. all about theater. Or even actors in the acting industry, you know, for, for film, television. Some of them get so into the different you know, techniques and, you know, there's this miser and this and that. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I've done my homework. I've done over 10 years of acting classes. So I've been studying my whole life, but it was just kind of like going with the flow. Like this is what I'm supposed to do. I'll just always be in an acting class. I'll yeah. always be working on this craft. This is my career. This is what I'm doing. It never was a big decision. Yeah. It's just always there. I know it's, it's very strange. Also, this kind of stood out to me. I was in an acting class when I was younger. And in Los Angeles, and the teacher was giving everyone a pep talk. And he was like, listen, I know this industry is hard. And all of you at some point or another have had thoughts of moving back home, quitting the industry. And immediately in my head, I was like, what? I mean, literally that thought never hit my Mm -hmm. mind. But then I saw everyone around me like nodding like that. Really? Yeah. I was like, really? Like, no, this is just what I do. Like, there was was no thought really put into it. It It's just, yeah, I'm just doing my job <laughs> yeah like well every 
actor I've ever heard talk about, like getting in the industry, has, talks about the struggles of how many times you get turned down or whatever. How many Casting? castings? Yeah. Oh, to, to get castings, auditions, whatever, to get just one gig. And I mean, in a way, that's a lot the same as entrepreneurship or anything else. Like you, you have to just keep, keep, keep at it. Like, did you find that super tough or was that just, yeah. you were just landing gigs right off the bat? No, no, no. That, that's a good point. I guess it did get me very used to rejection <laughs> uh, for what that's worth. No, I've, I've been on thousands and thousands of auditions and I haven't done thousands of jobs. <laughs> so, especially in the beginning, in the beginning it was, it was new for me. I was green as they would put it. Um, I was terrified, you know, well, terrified, you know, as much as a 17, 18 year old kid mm-hmm. would be going into a room with. At that age, you know, you're trying to appease to everyone. And, yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it is nerve wracking. You know, you have a job that can change your life right in front of you. And over time, you know, I've been in auditions with very large actors. Like, I remember when I was very young, I was up for a role with Kevin Bacon. Oh, really? Yeah. And he was going to play my father, and he was in the audition room. I remember I went in that audition room. That was one of the first times I remember, like, a large name in the audition room with me, reading with me. I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is for real. And so, yeah, in that sense, it was terrifying. But it was also really good training Mm -hmm. because now... Now that I'm older, it's like I still have to go to the same rooms. I have to do big jobs or I, I have business meetings with billionaire entrepreneurs or whatever it is. And I'm never really nervous anymore. It's completely numbed that in me. You know, I'll still get in like that, the heart pounding if it's something mm-hmm. massive or, you know, I, I still feel I'm still human. <laughs> yeah. But it's trained me to handle those high stress situations. And I think that's that's a, an amazing skill, I guess, to, to practice and learn and have. It's useful in a lot of ways. So yeah, that, that's one thing that came out of the casting audition process for, from and, and rejection. Yeah, rejection's big. I mean, people are like, how do you handle the rejection? I'm like, just used to it. Like, I know it's nothing personal. Like, I'm not right for the role. I'm too short. I'm too tall. I'm too. I look like this. I didn't sleep with the casting director. I didn't. I mean, like, yeah. Who knows? There's so many factors that go into it. Yeah. And it's like. I think I just mentally wrap my brain around the fact that I have to go in there and do the best that I can. If I did the best I could, move on. And if you get it, great. If not, great. But you can only, you're only in control of yourself. You can only influence it so much and beyond that, it's out of your control. And wow. So, move on. so you feel like, like just being in front of so many people, so much rejection and whatnot, like that, that has just made you tough to where like, how big a part of that do you think that played a huge part in that? Or was it you were getting so good at what you did that you no longer really worried about whether people saw the value or not? <sighs> good point. I think it's a little of both. I mean, uh, honestly, a lot of it's just repetition in the sense of when you do something over and over and you've been through it a million times. It's like even in war, there are people that's they're, they're becoming more numbed to life-threatening situations. I don't get as much of an adrenaline rush as they used to. Things like that it just happens over time with repetition so after thousands of auditions it's not going to be as nerve-wracking well at yeah. the same time of course you're also improving so you're more comfortable with in your own skin and with yourself and with your yeah. abilities so that's part of it as well absolutely yeah. uh, all of that's important what was your biggest fear growing up i don't know um you didn't have any it's funny you're I, fearless I was, asked this, I was asked this recently like what's your biggest fear uh, I was on a date. I was asked that. 
What did you say then? You didn't know either? Um, it's, I have no irrational fears that I can think of. When I say irrational, I mean like something super specific that's outside of my control or like, you know, clowns or mm-hmm. I mean, I have nothing like that. I mean, obviously I don't want to die. Yeah. I, shot. <laughs> I fear a lot of things that could kill me. Like fear is healthy in that way. So why do you fear death? Uh, because I like living. Okay, well that's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer, I guess. So yeah. I, so you have a lot more to give. Do you have a fear? What's your fear? Oh man, that's a good question. My biggest fear, like, is if it was, it's very different now from when it, when I was a kid. But now it would be like that I left something behind, like that I left something that I could have changed, or that I didn't give something my all. That's good. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, having certain opportunities arise that you don't take advantage of or like certain doors that open that you don't step through. And that's a mistake I've made many times in my life. And I guess, but would it be a fear? I think, it, I guess it's a little bit of a, re- a regret or it's just part of the growing process. Like none of us are out of the womb and just like perfect in business and networking. Right, and right. And all, you know, it's a learning process and I've definitely made a lot of mistakes. So, but is it a fear? Nah, I think you just... You need to recognize the mistakes, learn from them, and keep pressing forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So with acting, I've always been really intrigued by actors as far as their ability to pivot or adapt or change in the story, in the scenario, in the here and now. So like, how do you separate real life and acting? Like meaning... Are there ever times that that's something that you're acting triggers something in real life? Something that triggers something in real life. You mean? It could be a heartbreak. It could be a story about a parent. It could be, you know, it depends what you're playing. And it resonates in a way that yeah. actually, um, yes. I mean, that's part of certain techniques that you are trying to correlate it to things within your own life, or it may strike certain emotional chords mm-hmm. that are real to you because it's, it's connecting to something in your real life. Um, so that does happen a lot. And, I, and there's a lot of theories behind, you know, if that's healthy, if that's unhealthy, like I've been in acting classes that focus on that and um, like substitution classes, you're substituting like whatever, if, uh, if in the scene your dog dies and you have to cry, you're like, I've never had an animal, but mm-hmm. my father died and of cancer and it was a brutal death let me just really trigger that and utilize that so you're sitting there crying over your dog and the camera just picks up that that's what matters you're you're getting your job done mm-hmm. but you're using psychological trauma from your past to, to do that and some people think it can be healthy some people think it can be unhealthy i've definitely seen it where some people flip that switch and it really affects them yeah and uh like even post scene like they're still crying or still like a, a, an emotional wreck. And I go, hmm, maybe that's not so helpful. Maybe utilize, like picking off a scab over and over and not letting it heal. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's bad. Or at the same time, maybe maybe it's kind of therapeutic though. Maybe you are getting past it or over it a little bit. But again, it's a repetition thing. Over time, time does heal things. That's a real concern or, or a, a discussed topic in acting. And, Personally, it doesn't work for me. I'm not a big substitution guy. This is what's weird. Most actors are very emotional. Most artists in general, I'm not very emotional. Really? Um, 
that's I think that's what got me into business and all that. You know, my background is philosophy, politics, and and business now. So that's rare for an artist to have a very bis, uh, have a business mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is rare, and I have more of a calculated mathematical mind. So to get into acting with that, it's very strange. I was not like anyone else that I knew uh, that that surrounded me in the acting industry. So they were more emotionally driven, and they would use utilize these techniques that are diving deep into the emotions. And don't, don't get me wrong, I still have emotions. Now, when I teach classes, luck, luckily I've done teaching too. Luckily, I understand all these different techniques. They're now tools in my tool chest mm-hmm. that I can still sometimes pull upon or use for somebody else. And I'm trying to figure out what psychologically works best for them and then have them use those tools. So it, it's good as a director too. I can yeah. have the tools to get that out, out of a, an actor. But uh, with myself, I approach it like, this is what's weird, like a math equation. I kind of, that's kind of how I put it. Really? So why is because I'm breaking down what's going on in the overall script, what's going on in the scene, what's this character. I'm breaking down all the information and what, what needs to come across in this scene, like what, what's my goal with it, what are different flavors that will make me stand out or make this more interesting. Like I'm really just dissecting it, which is not an emotional approach. But then that's where you then have to put the meat on the bones. Like now I have that skeleton and it's like, okay, now I need to have that come across. And that's where you do have to just kind of let go. Lose yourself. You've done the homework. Your brain's now picked up on what that that math equation is. Now just let it all go. And that's where the real emotions and the the flavor can really come into play. But that's how I break it down from the foundation. And it's very helpful because at the end of the day, those points have to come across. It doesn't matter how emotional you are and how powerful the scene was you're crying doing this that mm-hmm. if it doesn't make sense in the scene you're wasting everyone's time yeah that scene still has a goal like the writers wrote it for a reason there's certain things that have to come across there's certain traits to that character that fit within that script that you have to have come across like you still have to check off all those boxes so i just really dissect those boxes and build from there it's a different approach if you had to have play an emotional part you can immediately tap into that like you, you, you know, kind of what box you're picking from to bring across the emotion. Yeah, that fully depends on that scene. So that's where I'll have different tools for myself too. Meaning, am I actually emotionally resonating with this, or you know, sometimes it's something that I have to be emotional and I personally disagree with that character's response. Yeah, I, see, I that's what I was so interested. Yeah. So then you have to find something else. It's like, well, I still have to do my job. I still have to have these emotions come across. So. I better fake it. I don't, by, by fake it, I don't mean like, I'm going to pretend. You know, I, yeah. I don't mean actually fake it. I mean like, there are certain tricks, like like what I was talking about in that example with the dog, mm-hmm. where you're using someone else. Use other tricks. Use whatever gets the job done. And sometimes, sometimes it is void of emotion. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you're doing tricks to have emotion, and sometimes you, you're ha- doing camera tricks. Meaning, if it's a super serious situation and, and this this character's life just crumbled and he's alone in his home with his family disease, whatever. So I'm thinking of like crazy situations. The audience feels that situation as long as everything's being done correctly. The audience feels it. They feel that within you. And they're like, wow, that was such a powerful moment. But that actor might have just been literally staring at the corner and counting to 10. Wow. Like things like that can happen. Those are skills that you learn over time, just doing it for so long. And, and it's sort of like, sometimes it's helpful because 
with acting, sometimes you're working so much. Like if I'm filming something, it can sometimes be like 16 hour days. You're exhausted. You're emotionally drained. Your body's beat up. Like I've definitely been in pretty extreme filming situations. Mm -hmm. And so you have to save the energy where you can. Yeah. And so sometimes it's like, I know this little trick or just me doing whatever it is with the camera angles, my eyes or whatever, will get that point across. And I'm not having to dive deep into a dead parent and do all this. Yeah. Stuff. You know, you have to be strategic about that too. You grew up, were raised by a single mom, right? Correct. Who was your biggest inspiration like growing up, whether it was acting or your your the father role, or is your dad still around? Or like, did you have more friends? He wasn't the father role. He didn't raise me. He's a great guy though. So that you know, for what that's worth. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't really have a father figure, and my mom would try. She got she got me like Big Brothers from the Big Brother. Oh really? Yeah, I did that. I still know him and stuff, but I didn't really have a father figure, and that is. Terrible for the development of a young man, uh, or you know, I guess any child, really. So at that point, you're kind of rolling the dice, meaning statistically you have a higher chance of coming out as a criminal and problems and blah blah blah. Luckily, I just kind of I, I dodged those bullets so far. <laughs> the future I can't speak for. Uh, <laughs> you make no promises. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of it was kind of self-taught. That's just kind of how my brain works, luckily. But my mom was physically handicapped, so she wasn't able to really even fill the mother role. All-encompassing. I mean, she did her best, but... Yeah, it's very different circumstance. I have to say, at the end of the day, we all have different circumstances. Mm -hmm. We all have, you know, whatever problem with your father, your uncle, your mom, your parents are dead. And here's the thing. Some people's stories are way more extreme and and depressing and sad than others but when it's when it's happening to you especially as a child that is your world yeah that is everything that's all that matters yes and so it does psychologically have a, a huge impact obviously in all of us and one thing that i try to tell people and it's, it's easier said than done but i think this is part of a, a personal growth journey is get past the things that are outside your control meaning i see way too many people that are much older, even successful or whatever, and they're having the weight of their past drag them down. Like their father issues, their mommy issues, their whatever it is, they're having their past still run their life. And I'm like, you're, you're a grown ass man or a woman now. Like you gotta get on that saddle and you know take control of your own life. And sometimes it is easier said than done. I think it's a very long and, and trying uh, mental and a psychological journey to actually efficiently achieve that. But I think it's one of the most important ones to really get your life started as, as an independent adult, get past those problems that are outside your control. What do you use to, or have you used, or let's say something bad was to happen and you were like, okay, I got to get past this. Like what steps do you use to, whether it's work through that mentally, physically, or what's, what's your first go-to? Well, for myself, I know one technique is literally dulling it down by going over it. You know, a lot of people talk to either friends or psychologists or psychiatrists or whatever. They talk mm -hmm. to I know that's a go-to thing. I, I try to do as much as I can within myself in the sense of, okay, let me just objectively break this down. 
like if, if I'm noticing a, a psychological error or problem within myself, like, oh, I want to change this, this, mm-hmm. I don't like how I'm reacting to this or whatever, this, this struck an emotional chord or whatever, when it shouldn't, or, you know, obviously some emotions are warranted, but I, I try to assess that and really, really understand it. So it's like, okay, let's take my dad. My dad wasn't around. He left when I was two. Wasn't really supposed to be my father. My mom, my mom was physically handicapped. The doctor said she would die if she had a kid. She was not supposed to have a kid. Her goal was to have a kid. So she chose a friend who she, she thought genetically would make the best child. And that's how my father was picked. So wow. he, uh, he wasn't really around. And it's like, okay, those past situations will strike emotional chords in people and, and carry the weight of that. Like my dad didn't love me. It wasn't, they'll, they'll, but I put myself in his shoes too. I'm like, he wasn't really signing up for fatherhood, but he still did it. It was a young, dumb decision on both their parts, I would say. And I say that because my mom's physically handicapped. She can't even take care of herself. The odds weren't necessarily in their court. It's, yeah, it, not, odds not in their favor, nor my favor. Yeah. But so I, I'm understanding the mistakes he made or that they made. And it has nothing to do with me. I didn't even exist at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I'm, just, I'm just objectively breaking down those situations from all points of view kind of stepping that's a big one step outside yourself mm-hmm. step outside the situation and look in it's very hard to do especially in situations that are very uh emotionally charged for you mm-hmm. i know it's the same in, in relationships so when we're having girl problems and it's like you know that's why we talk to our friend for that outside point of view it's like oh yeah i didn't see it that way because i'm too invested in it mm-hmm. anyway it's the same same approach try to assess all that it's like Okay, yeah, my dad's not a bad guy. I didn't have that father figure, but I'm a grown-ass man now. Yes, it would have been easier for my development. It would have been nice if my parents had more money so we weren't so broke. And, we, you know, all those things. Yeah, that'd be nice. But these are things outside my control. I'm alive. I'm healthy. I'm here. I have all that to be very thankful for. And um, and let's let's move the fuck on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. Oh, and then look what you've made out of yourself, too. I like the part of, of like, you know, coming from where you said maybe you didn't have as much money as you wanted or whatever, but it didn't stop you. But you should never stop. What's the point of living if you're going to stop? At that point, you're just dead. Yeah. Even, even if you're still breathing. <laughs> touche. Touche. How big a part does vulnerability pay into acting, becoming that great actor? Because I feel like sometimes, and I could be wrong, but if I watch a, a great scene, a great show... I know they're acting, but you almost feel like you can relate to the person, to the actor, or like you get to know them because of what they're willing to give up or whatever. How did you find that? And how does that tie into your daily life as well? Uh, it's actually a good question. It's massive. I think being able to be vulnerable is huge. I think it's very important because if you're genuinely able to do it, you're at a, it's a, it's a healing. You're at a, a place where I don't need to hide. I have nothing to hide. I don't care if you see me in a vulnerable state. This is me. This is my life. This is how I feel. This is whatever. I don't need to hide that. I don't need these walls up uh, that are really probably just going to push good people away. And it's it's. I, I give this advice a lot to to people in in in, in a dating scenario in their dating life, where I'm like, listen, you have all these walls up, and like, let's say it's a girl, I'm like, hey, you have these walls up, and you're pushing all these guys away. But really, the, the very valuable guys, I believe, if, if the walls are too thick, they don't really know who you are. They're not getting to know you. Why are they going to stick around? Right. Why, why, you're, you're really pushing away the good people. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas where it's the, the shitty guys who will eat a mile of shit to get to your ass, they're going to stick <laughs> around and not care about the walls until they right. can sleep with you. Yeah. So, so really, in a lot of ways, those walls are just more harm than they're worth. Mm-hmm. You think it's a defense mechanism, but it's actually having the opposite effect. Anyway, but I'm tying that into vulnerability where there is something beautiful and healing about being able to genuinely be vulnerable. It takes the power away from others over you because it's like, you know, I don't want them to see my emotions. That, that's, that's human instinct, mm-hmm. right? I don't want them to see me cry. I don't want them to see my emotion. Well, once you can genuinely get to a place where you don't give a fuck, if they see your emotions, they don't, you don't give a fuck if they're seeing the vulnerable you, you are just being you. That is therapeutic, and that's powerful. It's freeing. That's a powerful weapon. It's very freeing. Yeah. Why do you think so many people struggle with that then? Like, just, they're just scared to let you in because of, again, past experiences maybe, or hanging on to the past? It's kind of a human trait. It's hard to get past that. I mean, you know, we're, we're still animals at the end of the day, and we have certain things that are innately programmed in us, and it, we're, luckily we're, we're, we're higher beings in the sense that we're conscious animals, and we can we can reason and use our brain to get past some of these shortcomings. And, but it just, it's, it takes a lot of work, work that most people I, I think don't even come close to, to succeeding at. Um, sadly, I think that should be, I think things like that should be a larger part of our um, culture and upbringing and educational system, things like that, because, you know, mental health issues are um, through the roof. You know, we have a lot of mental health problems in this world. And I have a lot of theories as to why. Of course, mental health problems have always been around. And I think there needs to be more effort put into uh, correcting some of those things. Because um, that's, that's, at the end of the day, we, we are, the only thing we have is ourself and what's going on inside ourself at, at the base, at the core. So right. you better write that. We, we need a solid foundation. Otherwise, we're all screwed uh, yeah. from the start. Yeah. So yeah, there definitely needs to be more effort put into that. I mean, I'm no expert, but I'm just giving you my opinion on my observations on that. It's a great opinion, though. I feel like it would make a difference. Did, you mentioned like like politics and things like that. We don't have to dive too much into that. But like, what do you think right now with everything that's going on, whether it's COVID or or BLM or or all the many many things, whether it's LA, like we were talking before we started recording about kind of what's happened to LA. I mean, what is it that that we need now. What do you think we need now as far as starting to make that shift, make that change? Is it maybe vulnerability? Is it maybe just, you know, being real with each other instead of, like you said, getting so emotionally charged about things that... Yeah, I think things are set up in such a way right now to have have huge division within people and get people to really emotionally and physically blow up at each other at the sign of any difference amongst Mm -hmm. us. Because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we, we all have, I, I know uh, in the political scene, you mainly just have, oh, I'm Republican or I'm Democrat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, when it comes down to it, we all have a bunch of different ideas, things we're passionate about. You know, you can, you can take two Republicans or two Democrats and if they're chatting, they'll have differences. So at the end of the day, I, I think we, we, there are a bunch of differences amongst all of us. And, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. I think that's, that's how... We interact with one another and come to stronger and stronger, more correct conclusions. That's how we're evolving as a society because you want different ideas pitted against each other Mm -hmm. and you want it set up in such a way that through logic and reason, we can come to the right answers or try to. And over time that, that should evolve us in the right direction as a society where things are 
you know, get, get more and more, uh, go more and more in a positive direction. But anyway, that's the beauty of differences and debate and pitting idea, ideas against each other. But we now have this climate where ideas aren't being pitted against each other. Mm-hmm. It's literally just war now. It's war. almost like you're wrong because you think different than me. Yeah. Or your idea is invalid. Right. And yeah. uh, I'm going to kill you and you're going to try to kill me. So that's part of mankind too. Welcome to, to war and, you know, bloody uh, history. But I would like us to get to a point where we don't have to get down to that primitive stage again over and over and over mm-hmm. and um, and actually be able to sit at a table and have completely different ideas and, uh, and try to debate them, try to really figure out who's right, who's wrong. And if you can't do that, more of a peaceful separation at that if, if it came down to that, meaning um, instead of ki- killing each other, and that's that's choosing who's correct. Mm-hmm. Whoever's last alive is, is yeah. right. Right, right. Doesn't make you right. Yeah, it just made you uh, win. <laughs> win yeah, the, just made you a bully. Yeah. So uh, I'd prefer to uh, just separate at that point because I, I have noticed. You know, I've been around people from all different you know spectrums on the political scale. And, um, and I've learned from people from all different sides. And that's, that is my background. I've worked on elections and I've done speech writing and stuff. And oh, I really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I worked on the last president, presidential election. I, I worked for the Libertarian Party. Um, okay. Speeches and speech writing for Gary Johnson. And, um, but I've worked for, I've kind of worked for all different parties. I mean, because it's actually a subject I genuinely enjoy. And I approach it like, you know, it's just, uh, I love studying philosophy and, I break down the inner workings and how things, you know, whatever, the ideas behind it. I try to stay away from what I call surface level politics, which is what mm-hmm. everyone's either watching CNN or Fox right. and, and fighting each other over these ideas. I like more the inner workings. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my past. So because of that, I can actually write uh, and break down speeches for, for anybody. Um, that doesn't mean it's what I'm passionate. It doesn't mean that I agree with those ideas, mm-hmm. but I'll understand, okay, this is what you want to come across. These are the points that you want to hit. This is what your campaign is. Yeah, we can we can uh, make that happen. Why do you think the because I've watched all the I mean, I think like for so many years we've had Democrat or Republican and people people really just just like a religion. They I think a lot of times they follow it because they were just told to born into it, born into it whatever. Yeah. And and they don't they don't really stop and think, especially now. They don't really stop and think on both sides of the party, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm often fascinated as to why more people don't take a look at the Libertarian Party because it seems like that's kind of a, the happy medium between, if you will. And why wouldn't we want to look at the happy medium? Because neither one of the parties seem to be working right now if you look at everything that's happening. Do you think it's just just the, or I guess the better question is, do you think that will ever gain enough attraction to become something? Or are people just, they're just waving it aside? Um. When it comes to the, the population, I actually think that most people, if they were to really break down the parties and vote for what they just believed in or what was closest to what they believed in, I think most of the United States would actually vote libertarian. I agree. Instead of saying, why well, I hate that policy, but I like this one, so I'm just going to go with this one because they agree with this one part of my... That's the problem is uh, unless, unless the system changes or something drastic changes... This is the way it is because it, it's set up to be a two-party system. It's set up that way. That's when it comes to funding, when it comes to the campaign trail, when it comes to media push, you know, mainstream media. Mm-hmm. There's, it's like you're either that side, you're that side. Pick a side. Mm-hmm. 
And the reason for that, uh, I believe, is because uh, it's a lot easier to control two parties than it is an infinite amount of parties. Mm. So if you are the establishment, if you are, you know, what's what's running the show up there, you, you want to just have to have oversight over the left and the right. And, you know, you have all these public figures on each mm-hmm. side and you can kind of let them duke it out. But at the end of the day, you're still in power. and Find out what triggers shots. both of them. Yeah, it's it's an easy little game. It's an easy, you know, uh, pony show for them to put on for everyone. But yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, it's kind of, we're voting on a president, but it's a lot of the same people that have you know, been up there in these positions for most of their lives or their career politicians or this or that. Like, regardless of which side of those two parties wins, you know, most of the things going on in the government are going to be the same. Yeah. It's the same people behind this. Uh, it, it always fascinates me. Uh, that people don't actually stop and think for a second. So whether it's Obama, I've, I've seen people trash Obama. I've seen, obviously, everyone's seen people trash Trump. And I had this discussion the other day with an older gentleman who I very highly respect. We we think differently on a lot of different ideas. Well, I don't think we're as different as we think, but he he's, tends to be one of those that's like, just hates Trump or hates Obama or whatever. I told him, I said, think of it this way. As an entrepreneur, I put it in my perspective. If you have a 200-year-old company and now you have project managers, you have uh, sales managers, you have uh, territorial managers, regions, things and that, and, and you build this whole empire of people up to your president of the company, the company sells. And this company is now 200 years old. You have issues down the line here and there. And all of a sudden, the new president, the company gets sold, new president steps in and immediately everything, you know, give it six months or a year or even three years and everything is that president's fault because he's the new guy and it doesn't change that fast. And I wish people would start seeing politics that way. It's like you, you can't expect to vote a career politician in and get different results. Right. Um, no, I, th- I think that's, that's a good assessment. And I, they, they, they like that because they want you to just really the, the president is, is the, the, the PR guy. It's the face mask of the mm-hmm. company. It's, and so it's who takes the brunt of when things are going well and who, when things are going bad. It's just someone forever to point the finger at. Yeah. Uh, but really the what's going on, the inner workings, you know, it's a giant company. Yeah. There's a lot going on. It's not just the face of the company. You have and, all these people who are making policies. and. Yeah. Yeah, and, and telling the face of the company what to do, mm-hmm. how to take the brunt of the, uh, you know, the, the finger pointing and all that. that. Yeah, that's a good way to assess it. And so what I'm more passionate about is, is people actually looking at the company, how to help the company or improve it or, you know, and, and point the finger in the right direction when things are going wrong instead of falling for, oh, just just blame the fall guy. Yeah. And, uh, and then let's, let's move on and keep making the same mistakes. Yeah. What what do you see like hap- happening with like L.A. or Portland or some of these cities that that there's masses of people leaving now? Um, and like we had discussed, you know, there's people talking about bringing the film industry to Nashville now. And Richie talked about that a lot. It's like, what does that do for those cities? And where do you see it go? You know, you grew up there and, and you probably have a lot of near and dear places there. But where do you see that go in the next five, 10 years, what do you think will happen there? Uh, I worry. Um, it's sad. I think, I think it might die. 
and it sounds dramatic, but uh, I know a lot of people are, you know, it's a, it's a combination of a lot of things, obviously COVID. And uh, that's, that's the main thing that was like pushing kind of the breaking point. All of this. Um, I've noticed, but I've noticed a lot of problems in Hollywood period for a while. It's making less money. You know, the industry's shifting. It's also, I call it a propaganda mouthpiece in the sense of projects are less focused on a good product, a good project, and more focused on, hey, I want to push this, this political agenda. Or this really? Yeah. And so when that becomes the focus, regardless of if you uh, agree with that political agenda or not, but it's now, it's, it's having an, uh, an effect on the end product. And when your focus isn't number one, a good product, and it's, it's all these secondary, you know, weird motives, uh, it's going to affect it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed it. I've noticed that in the quality of projects, I've noticed that we're, we're the things that people are way too focused on, like all these discussions and certain political points and this and that, that they're pushing or, you know, behind the hiring and, all of that, and like, just fucking make a good movie. Yeah. Like, how about like, like, write like, I'll work on projects that sometimes, and that's embarrassing to admit, but the script's not even done. It's not even written first, and that, that happens a lot. Really? It's like, oh, we just we have these actors, or we have this, or we have this political push, or wh- whatever, whatever it is, and we have this timeline. All right, let's 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 get going. I'm like, what the, what what the fuck's the ending in the movie? <laughs> what, are we <laughs> um, what are we going for yeah i mean there's so many things about where as a business guy i would assess it and just go man this is ran horribly mm-hmm. and and you know it's true and and you see it you see it in the quality of the projects you see it and the money that's that that hollywood's taking in uh, it's gone way down yeah way down and they don't like to admit that you know they'll fluff the numbers like Oh, box office hit. This movie made a billion dollars. Oh, there's all sorts of ways to finagle mm-hmm. and BS that stuff. It's part of the marketing. Uh, but in general, Hollywood's definitely losing a lot of money. And then COVID hit. And I think this is this could be the straw that broke the camel's back. And I know a lot of people trying to move out of LA. And it, it is set. That's my home. I mean, that's where I grew up my entire mm-hmm. life. Um, and, I, and I see so many problems with it now. That's why I came here to Nashville. I plan on being in both places, but I haven't even been back since COVID hit. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think there's a part of movies that, that people want to watch and, and they want the movie to take them away from their life, right. you know, away from all the political hype and everything. And that doesn't discredit the actors. That doesn't say they shouldn't have a voice, but I think there's maybe a time and a place. But it's the same way for me and my business. If I was to start really promoting a political agenda with every sale I did and try to push my political agenda in my work, all of a sudden my work would suffer because I'm, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And that's exactly what it is. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And you know, yeah, that doesn't mean people can't have a voice. You can't be passionate about things, but in my business, I would like to provide a good product. Yeah. And I don't like detracting from that. If you had a world stage for say five minutes and everyone's watching, and not just America, but everyone's watching. You had a kind of a, a voice, a chance to speak up and say something. What do you think the world needs to hear right now? For people to remember, like that people are always gonna would remember you by. Well, if if I said it, I would I would die. I would get killed. <laughs> <laughs>
I'd be taken out, that's for sure. You would have made it off the stage. It'd be like <laughs> pew pew yeah. from the back. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's the same guy who shot JFK, I guess. Huh? It's very similar. He must still be around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, Adam, that's a deep one. That's a deep one. I mean, I think we've hit a lot of good topics tonight. I mean, never be afraid of the truth. How about that? Never be afraid of the truth. Never stray away from the truth. Especially nowadays, I feel like the truth gets buried more and more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, you can't say that. That's PC. Or, you know, oh, that's, you know, I'm, I'm this political standing and nothing can sway me. You know, people are so solidified in their ex- positions now. Like we were talking about earlier, no matter what side, it's just, fuck, there's no debate anymore. It's just fight, just fight, fight, fight. And um, I think I consider myself a seeker of truth. Mm-hmm. That is the most important thing to me. I'm interested in the truth. Whether I'm wrong, I now have to reassess the truth, Like, but the truth is out there, and that's how we actually upgrade society, or ourselves, our loved ones. I think that's a, a foundational goal, uh, a driving force that is that should be behind everything in people. Mm-hmm. And that's lacking now. So that would be my, my biggest thing. Be a seeker of truth. Don't be afraid of the truth. I saw a quote last night, and I forget who said it, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher it. Well, I'm not even going to try to say the quote, but it was to the extent that the guy said, and it was a name we all know. He said, believe the person who's seeking the truth over the person who states facts. Believe the person who's seeking. Interesting. And, and his, his method was, just, you know, kind of like, the person who's so, we could use it in both sides of the political spectrum right now. They say, like, well, this is the truth, and this is right, and this is wrong. Right. And most times it's not even. But if, if you're constantly seeking, your position is going to keep changing because everything changes. But no one wants to do that anymore. It's too much, right. it's too much work. If you could ask any one person, alive or dead, any one question, who would the person be and what would the question be? Like if you've ever thought of someone that you, oh, man, I wish I could have asked that person this, or maybe it was an actor, maybe it was someone I mean, that's passed. I guess I'll, I'll pick a kind of silly, selfish answer, the sense of, I would just like try to grab someone from back in the days with like, let's say the pyramids. Like, so tell me, how do we do the pyramids? Like, you know, one of those <laughs> mysteries that, yeah, no, that we can't, like but... a dumb answer because it's, it's, I'm not really learning that much, but I'm just, you know, why, why not uncover one of those mysteries that we may never uncover as, uh, you know, for mankind, you know, some of the, our interesting uh, pasts uh, that are kind of the world, what world wonder question marks that we can't figure out. So silly answer, but that'd be fascinating. Yeah. No, I think a lot of people would, would love to know that answer. What uh so what happens uh now? Like you're in Nashville, you're still pursuing film, you're pursuing some business opportunities. Are we gonna see you in any upcoming films? Or I, um, you just there was just one that came yeah, out, right? Psycho yeah. Sister in Law or something? Yeah, yeah. I had a lifetime movie that aired last week, a week from today. Um uh that's the last thing I shot before COVID hit. Um <clears throat> but now auditions are picking back up a tiny bit. It's like all self-tape auditions, so I'm still auditioning. Um, I have scripts that I'm going to try to push to potentially do here. So try to bring more film and production here and then, you know, I'm producing all that stuff. But then on the business side, yeah, so I have a, I'm a partial owner of a military tech company. We're always inventing weird crap and R and D and 
it's very fun. It's kind of like a, a little boy's dream getting really? to like play with uh, you know, inventing armor, night vision. And really, like that. that's yeah. really cool. I want to hear more about yeah. that. Yeah, it, it is. It is cool. And um, one thing I'm kind of proud of, if we can successfully get across the finish line, but we have a new tech that it can be pretty world changing in the sense that uh, we have a, a new way to cool, a cooling technology that's extremely energy efficient. We can we can reach extremely low temperatures. So there's so many uses for that. But one very interesting one that we, we're just now building out is an atmospheric water generator, which is basically like think of condensation, the, the temperature change on your glass, your glass mm -hmm. ice water. That's why you got the, the water on the outside. It's the same sort of thing, just on a massive scale. And one of our machines is looking like we could do about, and it's not that big, it'll fit you know, right, right here. And one of our machines, we could do um, about 200 gallons of clean drinking water a day off of solar panels. Wow, that's you incredible. Know, put that out in the desert, put that anywhere in the world, uh, disaster relief, you know, our troops overseas, whatever it is, uh, or just my house, because I just want <laughs> real water. Live my bunker. <laughs> um, we have so. somewhat of the same idea of what we want. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's really cool. What, um, well, we're coming up on time, but it, how can people find you, support you? You know, where they do they find you online? COVID hit me hard. Um, uh, no, uh, just my name, Brando Eden. That's uh, Instagram, and Instagram is mainly what I use. So that's my. My Twitter too. I rarely use Twitter. I, I'd say just follow me on Instagram. That's that's supportive. Um, yeah, and I only have a personal Facebook, so I, I rarely use that too. Yeah, uh, I'm starting to really hate Facebook. I've never really used it much yeah. in the last couple of years, but now everything you say is is uh, fact checked anyway, yeah. whether or not whether it's a fact or not. But exactly, I, I ignore it. So yeah, Instagram's the best. I, I'm a goofball. I post all sorts of stupid crap. So yeah, like the other night on the the little filters. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny. People like disturbed by it. I thought the uh, the first one was a legit baby, and I was like, "Wait, that's Brando." Oh, that's, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> it was so hilarious. <laughs> yeah, guys, uh, you you go follow Brando Eaton. Um, I'm so glad Richie introduced us. Uh, Absolutely, this has been really cool. So I just get Richie on. Yeah, yeah, we, we got. I've been twisting his arm for a while, and, oh. and he always tends to just avoid the lockdown date. So, oh, really? I'll get <laughs> yeah, we, we have to maybe bring you guys both back on or something. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe Hollywood stories. We got plenty of those. Dude, I would love that. You're the first actor I have uh, interviewed. Uh, there's so many more questions I even have. Like, I've always just been, I've always been just really intrigued by actors and and how they can portray. Acting this one life, whether especially if you did a long season of something, maybe, and then and how that floats over into your real life and so forth. But, but yeah, maybe another time, another day. Absolutely. But yeah, cool. Well, we'll uh, cut this for today, and maybe another time. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ultimate Shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy, and we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up but there's so many things that come up in between and my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal you can follow me on instagram at ephraim glick facebook at ephraim glick 
Twitter at Glick Ephraim, or you can go to the website at EphraimGlick.com. See you next time.